Welcome to the Oh God podcast. I'm Reeves. And I'm Maddie. And today we're here with um, Reverend Kim Jenny. Hi, Kim. Hi. It's good to be here. Yeah. Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? I would be happy to. I'm, I'm Kim Jenny, as you've already heard, and I serve as a director of Connectional Ministries, which is kind of a fancy title <laughs> that basically means that I get to work with lay leaders and pastors across the state of Missouri, and sometimes even beyond that, to help connect them to one another and help connect them to resources so that they can really connect with their communities. It's a great job. I love it. Yeah, it is. Um, I actually got to work under Kim for about a year, so it was fun getting to be a part of that work. and. Um see everything that they do that's awesome yeah i don't know why i have um actually maybe zero thoughts running through my brain at the moment (laughs) today's been a day we were talking about this before we Mm -hmm. started recording but i like i feel like i have jumped from like one thing to the next today to where my brain is like in transition back to yeah this current moment so yeah I agree. I had zero food and too much coffee, so which, <laughs> I'm real shaky right now. Like, I'm the exact opposite, yeah. which is not great. Not enough coffee, and I mm-hmm. just ate too much for lunch, and so we're figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> but, Kim, we're glad you're here. I, um, I'm i excited to get to talk to you, um, mm-hmm. especially because, like, I haven't necessarily formally worked with you, but we got to work together a little bit at the conference office, which was fun, and... Um, I feel like you are someone who has so much insight around what we're talking about today that I'm excited to get to pick your brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sweet. Well, um, today we're going to be talking about how to reclaim terminology that has been used in certain spaces to cause harm, or if we should find new words to describe the same idea. Yeah, so I feel like lately we've kind of been on this conversation of language, which I'm really grateful for because mm-hmm. I feel like as we move forward into bigger conversations, being really clear about what we mean when we say certain things is important. And I'm excited to talk about this because I feel like within the church, there are a lot of words that we use that are kind of big words. They're a little heady. They're kind of exclusive. And I had a conversation with someone where we were talking about whether or not the words themselves were harmful. Um, and we were talking about it kind of in the in the context of, you know, there are words that we use within the church that have been weaponized against people. And so there's kind of that argument towards either stepping away from words or using different words that mean the same thing but are less harmful versus reclaiming words um, because they are our words and figuring out how to use them in a more positive way. Yeah. And so... Yeah, we're just kind of talking a bit on what you think about that dynamic and what it looks like to balance between using a word, using a different word, mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's it's fascinating. Language is fascinating. And and prior to to becoming a minister, I worked in advertising. And so language is a is a critical part of advertising and marketing, any communication. But I've always been interested in the study around words and how they're used right because it's not the words themselves right it's but it's how they're used that makes them weaponized or or um, can connect people or unite people or divide people and so I, I do think it's every generation's job to reestablish what words mean especially words in the church right because it has its completely its own vocabulary and, and sometimes that means it, like learning a, a, a foreign language, for example, it can exclude people 
who don't know that language, right? Which is sometimes means that it's it, it can be used to harm people or to exile people or to alienate people. But but also there is something unique about diving into the meaning of words and discovering new layers behind it. And um, in, in the way that like when you're in high school and you're reading Shakespeare, right? Like after you get, you know, Romeo and Juliet, under your belt, right? Then Hamlet's a little easier, right? Like you start to learn kind of the rhythm and you start to learn some of the meanings of the words. You have to kind of practice the vocabulary of church to kind of get a sense of what it means before you can even begin to redefine what it means for your life as a disciple, as somebody who follows Jesus, right? That kind of makes me think, you know, one of, I liked what you said about having to learn the language, kind of figure out what the words mean for you. What does that look like or what do you recommend when you're engaging with someone who's unfamiliar? Because I think Mm. there's that learning curve of like, well, now I've got to learn these words in order to fit into this space. And like, I don't know. What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I I think it's one of the responsibilities of leadership Mm -hmm. in the church. And and this is true of teachers or leaders in the community. I think part of the job of leadership is taking complicated ideas and making them accessible to all people, right? And we've all had teachers who made complicated ideas more complicated, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. My economics professor is somebody that comes to mind, <laughs> right? Um, in, my, in freshman year. But uh, so a really good teacher, though, takes a complicated idea and makes it accessible to you and puts it in terms that you're able to understand, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and some of the best teachers that are like junior high teachers, right? They're doing that really hard work for, for a group of students who are learning vocabulary, right? Learning that. And, and so I, I think it's the responsibility of leaders mm-hmm. to take complicated theological terms in particular or to use a fancy word, ecclesiology, right? Like the ecclesiastical uh, language of the church um, and make that understandable to others. And I I have been in groups, I've been in situations where it was almost, language was used as like a badge of honor of some sort or some kind of like to prove that you were somehow deeply faithful, that if you could insert... All of, all of these words into like a prayer. Oh my goodness. It's like a checklist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I almost want to yeah. like have like the bingo card out. Yeah. Like, oh, you said this. Yeah, yeah. You said this. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that paired with um, even like prayer, especially, I feel like is one of the places where some of those words come out. Yeah, for because sure. Because you feel like you got to kind of flex yeah. when you're talking to uh-huh. God. And it's like the format's the same. The words all kind of are like, Tetris pieced in there and then it's always that kind of space where you get to the end and you're like what the heck did we just pray for like I, I'm completely lost um mm-hmm. and I think I think that makes a lot of sense that it's important as leaders to make sure that people know what they're saying yeah um because I think that's how we get to a place where people abuse language yeah and it becomes problematic yeah and it's important to remember as like you know I'm someone who's grown up in the church and has always really been around that language, but it's important to remember that not everyone has that same um, experience. And even to know that like there are probably some words that I've used or grew up around that I had no idea what they meant. So like it's always a learning process, sort of no matter where you're at. And when, when you're immersed in it, like when you become a part of the culture, 
sometimes you don't even realize that a word that you're using is yeah. is completely foreign mm-hmm. to the secular mm-hmm. world, right? So I, I've had that happen where I've said a word among friends who are not believers, who, who, who don't um, participate in, in organized religion, and they'll be like, what did you just say? <laughs> like, what is that? Did you yeah. just make that word up? Like, what is that? And it just is so, it's so embedded in me, right? So you have to... I think another aspect of leadership is creating a sense of awareness Mm -hmm. about the ways in which you're kind of putting up obstacles for people, right? But I've discovered that if you're willing to kind of slow down and unpack terms, people find it fascinating. So if if you can talk about kind of the history, whether it's like an example might be the use of like royalty language in prayer. Like why... I always thought this was strange because I'm an American growing up without a king or a queen, but there's so much royalty language in a lot of prayer language, you know, like we come before the throne, right? Like, what does that mean? Like, and so if you can unpack why royalty language is used in the church and kind of the history of that, I think people outside the church are much more willing to engage in a conversation. And then I think the interesting part of that would be asking, is it important that we use that language now? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Or, you know, or is there a different way that we can describe this that helps connect people? Because ultimately, all of this language, this use of language should hopefully connect you to the language that you have with God. Right? Like we all, God speaks to each one of us in kind of a unique language. We have to, I think part of the discovery of our own faith journey is figuring out what that language is, how God talks to to you and how you talk to God. And all of the words that we use in the church should hopefully draw you into that conversation, not repel you from it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Kim, what are some words that come to mind as like if you're to think of traditional church language, what would be some words that really stand out to you? When I think, I mean, there are there are like fancy words that are like theological terms, like atonement and salvation and mm-hmm. sanctification and justification. But really, like when you ask that question, the thing that always comes to mind is growing up in a little church in Southern Illinois. I grew up in a very rural coal mining farming community and reading the bulletin. And and there are there were words on the bulletin um, like introit, Gloria Patre, benediction, right? Like, and this was you know a very working class community, very very casual setting, quite honestly. And there were Latin terms um, in the bulletin and just realizing that, like, I don't know what these words mean. And this was, you know, to date myself, a little pre-internet, right? Like, so you couldn't, like, be on your phone Googling Gloria Patre. <laughs> like, I, you know, what does that even mean? And everybody would get up and we would sing and we knew the rhythm of it. But I, I would, if I had to guess, I don't know that the vast majority of the people in that congregation knew what some of those words meant, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Or in the in the um, announcements, it would be like, sign up for this volunteer opportunity in the narthex. <laughs> so oh what's the God. narthex? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I figured it means the lobby, yeah. right? Just out of con for context clues, yeah. right? Like, so you eventually learn it, but it's just as funny that 
that we kind of inherit language, right? And oftentimes we don't even ask what words mean or how they're connecting to this particular community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, I arguably still to this point have no idea what we're talking about when we talk about the North X here. <laughs> not not a single clue. It comes up and I'm like, right, I'll look yeah, on the map. So like. <laughs> feel that. Yeah. Um, but also I definitely I think about this idea of like inheriting language and all of the conversation we've had around language, coming back to the point that you made about how we have to ask questions about what yes. we say and why we say it. Mm-hmm. And I think that there would be so much harm avoided if we just started asking questions about these things that we are supposed to think are true or not true or the right thing to say or whatever. Um, Because it makes it more accessible. And if the whole point is that we have this this gospel that we want to share with people, if it's not accessible, Mm -hmm. then we're kind of spinning our wheels for no reason. Absolutely. And if you're just kind of blindly going along with the word, you know, like narthex or like even sin or atonement or something like that, and you don't truly know what it means, um, then, I mean, that can be harmful and damaging because you might not be using it correctly or you might have like an unhealthy um, view of what that word actually means. One of the things that I, I worry about is that we're not creating communities of faith that allow questions to be asked in safe ways without some type of um, retaliation is probably too strong of a word. But there are a lot of adults who have been away from church, whose memories, you know, they've forgotten things that maybe they learned once in Sunday school. And so they've been kind of like arrested in their development around, you know, faith matters. And I know sometimes, cause when I, when I get the opportunity to preach or teach, I can, you can see the questions in people's eyes, right? Like where like, Ooh, I could probably need to kind of unpack that phrase. Cause I can tell that I just lost part of my audience, right? Like they didn't, they missed that or they missed a story, you know, like I might've referenced like, well, we all know who Noah is. Well, not everybody knows who Noah is. And so you have to be really cognizant of the ways in which there's um, a literacy gap and, um, and, and where the language gap is and be willing to kind of either translate that into more modern language. I, one of the, one of my responsibilities, cause I am, I'm ordained as an elder in our tradition, um, the tradition of the United Methodist church. And part of that responsibility means that it's my job to help pass along the tradition. And that's not just the tradition of the United Methodist church. And it's not just the tradition of the Protestant church. It's the tradition of 2000 years worth of Christian tradition. And so it's part of my call and my claim to try to translate that and to help educate people for a new generation, realizing that we inherit 2000 years worth of beauty. I mean, I think sometimes we have a tendency to think that we're going to reinvent everything. And I part of my responsibility is help people rediscover things that maybe have been forgotten or maybe need to be newly interpreted for a new generation. Wow. See, and that I think is, I love that. And I wish that that was kind of uniform across the board. Like in thinking about my introduction to a lot of churchy words like sin and salvation and all of the ends, um, (laughs) 
I heard a lot of them really heavily when I got to college and I started getting plugged into these young adult groups that they kind of leveraged a lack of knowledge as a means of, of getting people to come back. And I think, um, because of that, like I had a really complicated relationship with a lot of those words, some of them still, um, because I had to go back and relearn for myself. And it took so long because I was basically Mm -hmm. doing that Mm -hmm. on my own. And so I think, you know, as leaders, especially as church leaders being mindful of what we're saying, but also how we're teaching it, because Mm -hmm. I think if we make it something where you're able to learn all of that tradition and see Mm -hmm. the beauty in something without feeling like it's being kind of thrown at you, like something you have to take, um, then I think you're going to see a healthier relationship to a lot of those terms. I think um, you were so right when you used the word rediscovering, because I mean, I think that's really the journey that we're on with this entire podcast. And um, I know us personally, but I think that's so true because, you know, I've been a part of spaces before where they're really like, we're going to reinvent everything. And it's like, well, not really. There's, like you said, 2000 years worth of this tradition. We're not really going to reinvent all of it. Um, So it's, I think, more about unpacking it and figuring out, you know, maybe where are the places where we got something wrong or misinterpreted or um, just kind of rediscovering and reclaiming like where that beauty is, where the heart of it. I I think it's important to realize too that sometimes where the churchy language comes from is our human attempt to understand what is happening. And when we read Jesus... Jesus doesn't use a lot of that language, right? So even when it's been translated into English from Greek or, you know, Aramaic, the language Jesus uses is the is the language of the people he was ministering with, right? And then people come after Jesus and try to make sense of what was happening. Right. And whether that's Paul using, you know, something like justification. Right. Paul's wrestling to try to help new generations understand what is happening between humans and the divine in this experience. So I think we just need to know the proper place of the language. And so it's not that if I can figure out what the right definition of salvation is, that I somehow score points with God, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right? What God really desires is for me to be in conversation mm-hmm. with God. Yeah. And, you know, I may never nail the definition of salvation, right? But hopefully in my conversation with God, I discover a salvific <laughs> to use another kind of adjective, right? Uh, you know, like uh, to, to, I discover salvation. I discover a way of being with God. And I think that's really what God cares most about. But when we start to, you know, quiz people, right? Like, and, and I'm not talking about people that are wanting to pursue vocational ministry. Because so, I think that they, if they're going to be inheritors and passers on of tradition, you need to kind of have a sense of where that is. But I'm talking about people who just desire to want to get to know Jesus and figure out what that means for their life. They don't, there's no such thing as like having the right answers all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I wish there are so many moments I can think of where I wish someone would have said that. You oh know? gosh, same. Um, and so I'm really glad that you did because I think in all of this, like that is 
that is the core of the whole thing is yeah. finding a way for you to be in conversation and relationship with God. Yeah. Period. Like the rest of it is nice if you're able to know it. It's helpful. It helps you to expand and unpack mm-hmm. things in new ways. But like the core piece of any of this is you being able to find a way to have relationship and conversation with God. Um, and I think just even reflecting over the people we've been able to have conversations with through mm-hmm. the show yeah. and kind of the community that we're building, like for some of you that is going to happen in a more structured religious church context. And that's really great. And for some of you, it might not work that way. And that's yeah. okay too, because the rest of it is it's all about your building that yeah. faith for yourself and figuring out what that community needs to look like for you. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about the connection with God um, and less about the right answers. I, I, th- I think when we get really excited about faith things, we can be sometimes the worst culprits, right? Of using words um, as as badges of some sort or signs of achievement or trying to prove, you know, our growth or where what our relationship is, right? All those things. And so I I, and I know I've been guilty of it. Yeah. I'm sure I have been guilty of it. I'm sure if I really thought hard about it, I could like even name some moments where I used words as a weapon in that sense. But I'm really trying, I'm aspiring to try to see words as invitations. And so um, if I use a word like sin, I want it to be an invitation to someone else to want to explore what that might mean in their life mm-hmm. and not not distance them. Yeah. Um, well, if we choose to keep this language, which I think is really what's important here is keeping it and reclaiming it. How do you think people can begin that process of reclaiming some of these words that have caused a lot of harm? I, I think you, you do have to spend some time kind of educating people on, on the journey of the word. And oftentimes we've discovered that where the harm began is actually more recent history than we might want to admit Mm -hmm. that somewhere along the 2000 years right it somehow got distorted and got picked up Mm -hmm. and um and eventually over time it kind of has walked away so i I think that's one of the things that i like to explore is kind of the original kind of understanding of where that word is and where it's kind of like moved through time Mm -hmm. and how different communities have understood that and claimed that And, and I think you can do that in a way that's interesting and you don't get too lost in the weeds, right? I mean, I'm a, I realize I'm a nerd and not everybody <laughs> is going to do that. Um, but I think I think the part of the job of someone who wants to teach and lead others is figuring out, okay, this is where it, it, it started and this is where the places it has gone, this word. Um, but what might it be doing for us today? And what are some examples in your life today where you might see this manifest, right? And I think where people can start to see, um, you know, sin has is so loaded, right? It, it I mean, it, big. There's big S sin, whatever that means. Big S sin, you know. And then there's little sin, and you know, like. Um, I, you know, I think of the church lady on Saturday Night Live and, you know, you're a sinner and like all of the, you know, I mean, like culturally the word sin has just 
Like if you, if we went out on the street right now and asked five people what sin meant to them, I'm sure we would get the gamut, right? Like that might be a fun, you should do maybe an on the street. Ooh. That would be like with idea. the microphone where you run up. Oh, people, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. Yes. Okay, yeah. Danny, um, Let's get that working. We're going to have to get the camera out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that could be really fun. But I mean, it's just a loaded word, right? And so I think the other part of language and reclaiming it is figuring out the proper place. Right. And and I think you have to begin to build relationship with people before you start to introduce some of these kind of reclamation projects, mm-hmm. if you will. Right. You have to create a, a place of safety for people to say, well, hey, we're going to talk about sin tonight. Not not everybody's going to want to sign up for that right away. But I think if you can build communities, if you can build small groups, if you can build one to one relationships with people where they're trusting that we're going to explore this, this is a safe place to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And I I am thankful I'm part of a t- tradition where we're allowed to express doubt. And be like, I don't know if I believe that. And I'm not labeled a heretic, Mm -hmm. right? Or a heathen or a pagan or whatever, fill in the blank. Because I'm not, at least today, I'm not fully convinced of something. And and that's the conversation I have with God all the time. Like, I don't know if I'm buying it today, right? And the, the good news is I believe in a God that is perfectly secure and can handle my doubts. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That is probably one of one of my many favorite things about God is that when I just don't get it, I can be like, um, excuse me, <laughs> I do not understand. Yes. I started, um, I don't know if, the, I, I think it's fun. I started this thing when I was like in elementary school. Like I don't even remember how it got started <laughs> where I would see something and I wouldn't understand it, but I knew none of the adults in my life were going to be able to answer this question And so I just started saying, like, add that to my list. So I have a list that eventually one day when I Mm. come before God, I'm going to be like, I want an answer to all (laughs) of these things that I just yelled at you throughout the course of my life. But the problem is I've forgotten what a lot of those questions are. So we'll see what, like, (laughs) six-year-old Maddie had to think about the world someday when God's like, this is where unicorns Mm -hmm. (laughs) came from. I have have a similar list. And there's a part of me that worries that – on the other side, whatever you know, the other side of heaven, um, that I'll be so overwhelmed by the experience that all of those questions won't really matter anymore. They matter so much on this side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I was very concerned about where unicorns and mermaids came from when I was small. <laughs> very concerned. Yeah. So we'll see. At least it may, they may not matter, but I kind of just want to be like, you still got the answers? Just out of curiosity, <laughs> just for funsies, we got eternity. Yeah. We'll spin the wheel, pick a pick a question for you. <laughs> I love that. Good. Awesome. Well, Kim, this was a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it was really helpful to kind of reshape the way that we think about approaching some of these words, especially coming yeah. from a place where a lot of the time, like we talked about, they're not used in the best way or properly um, or in a context that's helpful to people. And so I think listening in, understanding that it's okay to relearn a word or yeah. reapproach a word for yourself um, is really important. Um, and we've <laughs> talked about this a little bit. And so we had kind of put this question together. I feel like we've touched on it some. And so it might be a way to even just kind of rephrase. 
But, um, you know, the point of this whole show is to talk about really the hard things that come up within church life. And as leaders navigating this question while also leading, you know, how do you how do you navigate the dynamic of kind of learning something as you're teaching people who are learning Mm, something? Yeah. Because I know, at least for me, that's an (laughs) ongoing thing where I learn something and I'm like, now I've got to figure out how to teach this thing that I'm kind of teaching myself. So how do you, what advice do you have for leaders kind of towing that tension? I, I think this is one of the gifts of the current era that we're living in, in that teachers are allowed to be more vulnerable than perhaps they have been in the past, which is to say that things are changing at such a dramatic pace that that it's it's really difficult to be considered an expert or to have mastered anything. And I'm not convinced that um, in th- in theological terms that anyone ever masters the the language, the relationship with God, right? I think it's something that we pursue, um, but I, I don't I don't know that we can ever have all of the answers. And so I know I'm very resistant to leaders who who teach in ways that make it seem like they have all the answers. But I think that means that to be to be an authentic leader today means to name where you're you're learning. And so being forthcoming. And so you might be teaching on something, and I think we need to own that I'm new to this subject area, or this is something where I I feel like God is changing my understanding of it, and I've been in different places along the journey. And I, I think by if we can reveal parts of our own exploration and struggle um, and even deficiencies in certain areas, I think people appreciate that. I, I think they they do versus having a gap in knowledge and then just faking it, right? Or pretending you know more than you do or pretending. I think this is one of the things that gets I get frustrated with in preaching in particular is pastors who always seem like they've, you know, since they came out of the womb, they've understood this stuff, mm-hmm. that there hasn't been some kind of growth um, in their own life of understanding God's grace in their life or understanding what it means to 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 truly be forgiven and to and believe it, right? Like there's there's head knowledge about that. There's heart knowledge about forgiveness and figuring that out. So I, I think that at, for leaders today, I think we got to own where we're still learning. I think people appreciate that when you name it. And, and to be able to say, I'm not convinced that I've settled in this area, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, one of the, I think, m- more difficult conversations that we're having in the church, um, in multiple um, types of churches, is around our, our, our evolving understanding of human sexuality, mm-hmm. right? And this is, this is a place where language has been used to weaponize you know, has been weaponized and has been used to other people and to also make people fear what I consider to be a gift from God, mm-hmm. right? So who God has created you to be and who God has created you to, to love and how to love. And sexuality is a gift, but the church has been so scared of it for <laughs> generations, literally, right? That we've used it to, to kind of, 
put people in a state of fear. And people have been afraid to ask questions about it, have been afraid to wonder about the mystery of it. There's so much we don't know or understand. And science even admits, like, we're still discovering some things that we don't really understand about this, right? And and so I, I think that that's, when, when leaders today are having conversations around sexuality, I appreciate the ones who are willing to say, I've kind of evolved myself in certain areas, and I don't know that God's done with me yet on it. Right. Like I'm still learning what this means for me. I'm still learning, you know, I'm in I'm in my 40s now and I'm still discovering who I am, who God's created me to be. Right. Like I I don't have my own self figured out, let alone uh, what I might think about, you know, groups of people and other people that respond differently to the world than I do. And so um, I, I think that it's it's tough to be a leader right now in the church because they're Again, it, there's a lot changing, but just being honest about where you are and being willing to be humble enough to kind of say, maybe I don't have it all figured out. Well, that's huge. I um I really think that that vulnerability and honesty about sort of where we're growing is so important because I think where things can get super frustrating, I was having a conversation with a good friend last night about how we're both just so deeply frustrated and kind of troubled about the fact that um, it seems as though a lot of, or just some churches or some church leaders, um, there's this inability to admit where maybe they could be wrong or that maybe there could be, you know, a question or a different understanding. Um, And yeah, I just think that's important. Like, it's not so much about the right answer. It's more about, I don't know, I guess just mm-hmm. the possibility of discovering. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, that also speaks to this this shift in types of leaders mm-hmm. that are successful, honestly, in 2021 right now. Mm-hmm. Because I think, for me, I think about the types of leaders that I'm drawn to, and they are the ones who are ever evolving and are yeah. honest about where they're at, but teaching from where they're at. Because I think in most spaces, I'm more prone to want to have a conversation with someone who's open about how they've been learning than someone who just shut off and has presented like they Mm -hmm. know everything from the very beginning. Um, And so I think that that's just also huge confirmation um, for people who are leading in any space to to be honest about where you're at because it's more relatable. and it kind of, I think it serves also as a reminder of, that's right, I was reading about that thing. I probably yeah. need to circle back yeah. and brush up a little more. And I think it creates a place where people are more willing to admit when maybe they have questions. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, if the leader is also having questions and is also learning and is also evolving, then, yeah, the, it's, you know, it's not a sin to have questions or to have doubts or, um, like, God can handle that. And so being... Just willing to be open and honest about that, I think, is important because it creates a space where everyone, you know, is reminded that they are not alone in those questions and that um, there is uh, room to have some doubt or to have some um, some place to grow. Yeah. I think much to my, my great frustration, I think the perpetual lesson that I am bound to learn in life over and over again is is one of humility. And I have... I, I, I wish I could learn this lesson because there have been multiple times where I think I have arrived at the right answer. And then I, you know, if 
then I discover that, you know, perhaps God's not finished with me on that topic. It usually comes in the form of some kind of embarrassing thing, but uh, <laughs> where, where I'm kind of humbled. But I, I think that that is part of what it means to follow a God that's bigger than we can ever possibly imagine, right? Like just when you think you, you've got, if you think you've figured out God, God's got something that's going to just blow your socks off, right? Like, and I think that part of the job of leaders in the church are to blow up people's boxes that they've placed God in. And oftentimes we do that through words, right? Well, God likes these kinds of people, you know, or God could only love these types of people, right? We, we use that. And I think part of our job is to show people that that's a, you're making God smaller than God really is. That reminds me of a conversation I had um, around like language and how they kind of approach a lot of their conversations when they're talking to God or about God from, um, oh, I forget exactly how they described it, but it was an attempt to come from more than one um, sense. So there's the words that are being said, but then there's also the feelings that I'm feeling and there's, you know, the person that I'm talking to and Mm -hmm. the things that I'm seeing and like taking in more than one piece of information Mm -hmm. in that conversation because words can be so misconstrued that when I hear something, how does, how does that make me feel? And why do I feel that way? Or where am I at? And how does that play into how this word is coming up? Because God is bigger than words. Mm -hmm. Um, and God is, also in our feelings and in our spaces and in our relationships um, and how that has helped them kind of get a more full understanding of how they feel around certain things yeah. and where they need to grow and move forward. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, I think that's part of the hard work. I think we maybe 50 years ago, maybe not even then, when you said certain words, people had a general understanding of what that word meant. I think I think it's a an aspect of living in a postmodern post you know Christian world that part of our responsibility is to help people understand when I say this word this is what I mean and and we see this in culture a lot now I'm I'm involved in some some work um, around addressing some things internally around race and and having to define what certain words mean, right? Like what does privilege mean when we talk about that, right? Um, but there are, there are phrases in culture, you know, like I may say defund the police and that creates really a lot of different ideas, right? So I may have to define when I say defund the police, this is how, how I'm speaking of it. And the same is true about church language, right? So if I, you know, say s- sin in, in a conversation, I think it's a it, it's part of my responsibility to say when I when I speak of sin, this is this is what I mean by it. This is how I'm using it, and this is how it can be helpful in our conversation as we move forward. And that's just it's really it's a challenge. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, now so I love that you also kind of incorporated more like of societal language too, because I think one of the the interesting dynamics that exists in the way that the church itself operates is that for so long in history, the church was that driving force in culture. Yeah. And now we're in a place where it's not as relevant, if yeah. really in some spaces relevant at all. 
And yet our words are still so impactful in those spaces because mm-hmm. of our history defining culture coming up um, in the tension of, you know, what was that and what is it now and how do these, how do these things go together? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think even remembering that and understanding that there are spaces where not only are we unpacking church language, but we're also unpacking more like justice language or secular language. And they're still kind of one in the same in yeah. a lot of the time. Um, is also an important thing to remember. So I, I, I know we, we've talked about this in, in different contexts before, but I, I just love the story. And this is an example of how I think rediscovering language can be helpful for a conversation now. So, you know, we've been talking a little bit about contemporary culture and justice issues and kind of misunderstanding, speaking past each other in language. And then the church has this word, you know, sin, right? So Basil the Great, Cappadocian father, you can Google him, he's on Wikipedia, you know. Um, fourth century, probably, right? Early Christian, kind of considered a teacher of the church, would describe or define sin as the misuse, the misuse of powers given to us by God to do good. Mm-hmm. And I think if we could help people define the word sin that way, from back in the fourth century, what might that mean for the world today, right? Because so then we can look at the misuse of power that God has given you to do good in the world. And when we when we abuse it, when we don't take advantage of it, it could be as simple as God's given you a gift and you won't share it, mm-hmm. right? You're holding something back from yourself or you're using a power God has given you to manipulate or to other people, or to keep people out, right? That's that's sin, according to Basil, because he defines it as the misuse of power that God has given you to do good. And I, I that's a that's a definition of sin that I can get my head wrapped around. And it's from the fourth century. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, there's Ugh. some stuff from like the fourth century that just mm-hmm. it's so good. Yeah. I think people would eat it up today. Um, I, I, you know, I think, but they need people to help them discover it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's part of what our job is. Yeah. yeah. I think that's um, just such a beautiful definition because so often I feel like the, the message we receive in church spaces, whether intentionally or not, is that, you know, there's kind of this mysterious list of sins somewhere that like, you just have to avoid doing these specific things. And yeah, I just, I, I think that can be very othering and very problematic and um when we have to think of it as a abuse of power i mean that that has some serious ability yeah it is yeah versus i did my checklist today i'm good to go it's like no you're held accountable for all of the ways that you existed in the world today yeah which is both heavy and also kind of light yeah in some ways i think it's kind of liberating to start to think of it in that in that term that but again i mean I think in order for a lot of people to manage through life, we kind of, there, there's a, there is a portion of us that prefers just, just tell me the checklist. Yeah. Right. That's the sort of tension I feel is I'd almost rather have the list. Um, And then there, there are others of us that are like, you know, like, but the, the checklist could be never ending. Yeah. Right. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of good stuff. And I think there's, 
I know that the the big debate right now is whether the church is relevant or, you know, has any relevance. And, and I think church little c, I think that's a good question. But I think when I, if we define the church as the body of Christ, um, there will always be relevance because people need it, um, in ways that, you know, we don't, we can't possibly imagine. So. Wow. That was good. That's good good stuff. I love it. Well, Kim, thank you so much for um, taking the time to just unpack this with us and share some of your wisdom and experience um, and knowledge on just this topic. It's been wonderful for me to sit here and just, you know, listen and, um, yeah, start thinking about maybe some ways that we can reclaim our language and the responsibility that we have as leaders to truly define what it is that we are talking about. Yeah. And so similar, I guess, to some of the other weeks and other episodes that we've had, you know, we kind of invite you to think about that over the next couple of weeks. Like in what ways do you have relationships with certain language? Are there words or phrases that you need to maybe circle back to, redefine, evaluate? Are there questions that you have that we can attempt to try to answer over the next couple of weeks um, because we would love to do that and just keep being in conversation around this because the words that we use, especially in a church setting, are so important to how all of us come to a collective understanding of faith on our own. Absolutely. Yeah. Sweet. Thanks, Kim. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for the invitation. I enjoyed it. Maddie and Reeves are both faith leaders, and the following conversation reflects their standings and beliefs, not those of their place of employment.